Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. And today, I'm, like always, I'm always happy to have my partner here, Mike Siravola, who's been my friend since we were in the police academy together, trainees together. And then after he retired from an illustrious career as a detective lieutenant, the Zodiac and all these big cases he broke, he came over and he's been with me since the early 90s at Bo Deedle's Bo Deedle Associates. That's still the name of our company. That's the name of our company. Thanks for having me, Bo. 38 years we've been in business, Michael. Well, there was a time in 1992 we were doing really, really good. We took over the Carpenters Union. We went against uh, crime families. We did everything. We had such a great time taking on Big Farm, everything. But there was a time in 1992 when we had two very big active cases. One case was the kidnapping of an American little boy who was seven years old. Hassan was his name. And we're going to get into that in a second. But at the same time, we had an investigation with the famous lawyer, Barry Slotnick, on the investigation of a an assault by the first lady of Indonesia against the granddaughter of the king of the Philippines. Is the king or the president? Of president the of the Philippines. Yep. So we're going to start with the first one that happened. All of a sudden, I was out that night and I had a bit of a hangover. I'll never forget. I go into my office. We had the office on Long Island Expressway Service Road, 6600, yeah. right? And then there's this woman sitting on a couch. And I, what was my assistant's name at that time? Susan. Susan. So I see this woman sitting on a couch crying. And I go to Susan. Susan, come here. What, what is this about? Ah, oh, this woman just had her son kidnapped to Istanbul, Turkey. I said, ah! So I go see the woman and I says, excuse me, who told you to come over here? She goes, well, I was at the detective squad in Brooklyn, in South Brooklyn, and this detective Eppolito, Louis Eppolito and his partner said, they can't do nothing about it. Your son was kidnapped to Istanbul, Turkey. We can't do it. But there might be one guy, one guy that can help you with it. So he shoved this on my lap. So <laughs> speaking of laps. So the first thing I did to Susan, I said, Susan, Go to the candy store there. Get a map of the world. We didn't have computers back then. Get a map of the world. So I put it on the wall. Now I'm looking for Turkey, uh, Greece. Oh, Istanbul, Turkey. I didn't even know where the hell it was, to be honest with you. It was on some water base or something. So next thing is the woman's crying. So the first thing I said was, first of all, if you want me to help you, we have to get retained. We're licensed. As soon as I say retained, ah, she's not crying again. I said, calm down, lady. I said, well, how much money do you have? Ah. I said, well, look, you got to put a couple of dollars to retain us. We're a licensed group. We got to be retained. Ah. I said, okay, tell me the story. She tells me that she was impregnated by this guy, Hassan, again, eight years prior, and she hadn't seen the guy in eight years. He shows up. Now she has a son, Hassan, who's seven years old. He shows up, 
And he says he is now taking his son and he's going to control his son. During this time period, he used to have the son. He used to beat her. And mercifully, is. he used to tell the kid, go get the hammer. Kid would get the hammer. He'd hit her in the knee, broke a kneecap, her arm, and everything. She was in bad shape. She had and, a sling on. She had yeah, he broken broke her, her arm, arm with a hammer. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, she's there and she tells a story. He tells her. Our son's going to become a soldier of Allah. And she goes, no, no, he's not. He couldn't get her to let him go. But then he said, look, my mother's very sick in Istanbul, Turkey. I'd like my son to meet her before she dies. So the woman, the mother says, okay. So she walks him to the air. She takes him to the airport in a cab. They put a identifying on the kid with his pass, his boarding pass on a, on a chain around his neck. And they put him on the flight. As the plane takes off to Istanbul, Turkey, he turns around and he goes, you'll never see him again. He's going to be a soldier of Allah. So she just, he leaves her in the airport. She don't know what to do. She goes to the precinct detectives, Louis Eppolito, and that's how we got involved. So next thing is, real fast, is before we start the next story, that was going the same time. So then now I find out with Istanbul, she's got no money. I call up, I'll never forget, I called up my friend Al D'Amato. He's the United States Senator. I says, uh, Senator, I said, what's up with this turkey place? He goes, we got no kind of treaty with him. This is a bad place, Bo. So I said, okay. So now before we go any further, we find out, we find out that the husband was arrested for a fight in a bar or something, and he's now in the precinct. They're ready to release him on a DAT, a desk appearance thing. So I call up the cops there. I tell them, you got to hold him. I shoot the Brooklyn next thing. He says, you got to hold him. Now this thing goes into the family court. And then I go to the family court where he's being brought to the family court. And I go, Your Honor, can I approach the bench? And I go up there and I tell him, listen, this guy put this kid on a plane. He's an American citizen. We'll never see him again if you release this guy. We got to work on him. Now he holds him. He remands him. And now all of a sudden, we got him remanded. I go to the holding pen and I start uh, taunting him a little bit. I says, you know, we're going to get your son back. You, uh, I use the word scumbag, Mike. I can use this as a podcast. I say, you scumbag. And then he spit at me. I'm going to punch him in the face right through the bars. Next thing is he goes, my son will be a soldier of Allah. I say, yeah, that's crap. Next thing it goes to the criminal court and I do the same thing. I go up to the judge. I approach the bench. I tell him about this little boy that was kidnapped out of America. Now, before we go any further with that story, and we're going to start what's going on with Madam Sakana, Mike. So I'm home on a weekend, and I read People magazine. There's a picture of this very elegant woman, Madam Dewi Sakano, former first lady of Indonesia. A couple of days prior to the article coming out, she was at David Koch's party uh, in guy. Aspen, Colorado, at the Aspen Club Lodge. And she had a altercation with the former granddaughter of the Philippines, and her name was Minnie Osmania, another beautiful socialite. So they Asian were at woman. this. They were at this billionaire cocktail bar, Red Mountain, the right. most exclusive. Be, so the backstory to this is there was bad blood between them. They were on Adman Khashoggi's yacht months prior to this party. And they both lived in the same apartment. On In the Ritz, in the yeah. Ritz Tower on Park, Park Avenue. Avenue. So what happened was Osmania was bad-mouthing Imelda Marcos, who was a good friend of Madame Sicano. And Madame Sicano took exception to that. 
and they had words on Khashoggi's yacht months earlier. Now, fast forward, it's around New Year's Eve. They're out in Aspen, and Sukarno wants to humiliate Osmania. So she has a champagne flute in her hand. She empties the champagne, tells the bartender to fill it with cranberry juice. He does so. She walks over, and she puts the glass over Osmania's hairdo, and she <laughs> goes to turn it upside down, so she humiliates her by getting cranberry juice in her hair and her face. Osmania sees the glass over her head, instinctively grabs Sicano's wrist and pulls down. Unfortunately, the glass hit her in the orbital bone right above her, right by her eyebrow, and when she pulled down, 37 stitches in her face. Very pretty woman, too. They were all very attractive Asian socialites. Yeah, and so now we get hired by Barry Slotnick. Right. Well, at that time, we used to do all of Barry's criminal defense work. Barry called us that Sunday. I called you. We had a conversation with Barry Slotnick, and then on Monday— What was the first thing I said to you, Mike? Get the cash, right? Yep. Monday morning, we had a meeting with Madam Sicarno. She came back from Aspen. She was released on bail. And we had a meeting, and we started our investigation. So I was out in Aspen six separate weeks locating witnesses, 26 different witnesses. We did a lot of work on this case. And for the first week, you had come out there with me. Yeah, I me. came out. I think I came out once or twice. But yeah. the important part of this whole thing is right now we have now Michael knew about the kidnapping of the boy. So now I'm trying to figure out what we're going to do. She has no money. And I just felt for her in a sense. I think that case costs us maybe seventy-five dollars to $100,000 when they're all said and done. So now all of a sudden we find out that the kid is in Istanbul, Turkey. So you're out there in Red, it was called Red Mountain. And Madam Sakana, the first lady, she had this gorgeous house on the mountainside, Michael. Yeah, overlooking and, Ajax, yeah. Aspen Mountain. So I think there was a point when you were out there and you were running the investigation really well, like you always do, Mike. And then I decided I got to come out there. In the meantime, I get Jimmy the Wags, retired sergeant, and Danny Cavallo, retired detective from the New York Police Department. And I tell him, guys, I'm going to put you on a plane to this Istanbul Turkey thing. I said, you're going to go out there. You're going to find this kid, and you're going to bring him back. They look at me, oh, ripo. So now all I remember was we were at her house. We went to dinner. Everywhere we go, she would wear jewelry, diamonds. I'll never Mink forget. Coats, I'll never urban. forget. She had an emerald the size of a pack, pack of Luckies. Pack of Luckies. The thing was like the size of a pack of Luckies, and yeah. she used to love to drink. And I'll never, I'll never forget this. This one night, the fireplace was roaring, and then I was there, Madam, everything got it. I'm cocktailing, and you're looking at me. You're laughing at me, and next thing I said, Madam, are you okay? She goes, Bo, Bo, walk me to my bedroom. <laughs> so I walk with her to her bedroom, and all of a sudden, she grabs me, pulls me down the bed, and tries to rape me, Michael. <laughs> she tries to rape me, this first lady of Indonesia. And I'm going, madam, madam, respect, please respect. She goes, oh, <laughs> that's all I remember, Mike. <laughs> so I went away, and then I remember she loved you, Mike. You used to go skiing with her. She would call me on various trips. I'd be at a hotel, and she would call the hotel, and she'd say, Michael, no working today. Today we ski. So I'd be out there for a week, 
and I'd work four or five days and <laughs> ski with Tough the Tough assignment, huh, Mike? Yeah, Tough it, was, assignment. It, it was great. So now all of a sudden we got Jimmy the Wags and we got Danny Cavallo in this damn bull turkey. So now we're figuring out the, any of the laws out there. So now they go to the, the police station there. <laughs> that was not a very good move. And the cops tell them, in Turkey, and they had one that spoke English, obviously, if you go and you try to remove that kid, even though he's an American citizen, you will be arrested and you will not be charged for seven years. And people got to remember that movie. And I remember Midnight Express. That is not where you want to be as a Turkish prison. So now Jimmy Dewey is like six foot three, real tough guy. And he's there like this. He goes, Bo, he goes, you got to be kidding me. So now they're there about a week, a week and a half, whatever. And we're getting calls. Now we're in, we're in, we're in Red Mountain in Aspen having caviar and cocktails and, and having a great old time. These guys are calling me up. Hey, Bo, you know, this is not working out. This is not. I says, come on, man it up. And Danny, all Danny talked about was food. He goes, I can't eat these lamb burgers anymore. They well, what did they tell us about what happens to them? Yeah, seven yeah. years until, yeah, until they get charged. Yeah, without a trial. Without a trial. Yeah. So I'm telling them as we're sipping, as we're sipping champagne and having cocktails, I said, I'm yelling at them, man up, guys. Come on, get this kid out. Stop being pussies. I said, come on, Jimmy, you're six foot three, tough guy. Come on. Uh, Mike, pass the cabbie off please <laughs> so now we're there and i'm yelling at them so eventually what happens is i i come up with this little brainstorm i leave michael with madam did you ever bang madam sakana i did not michael strictly professional michael, relationship did, you were drinking at that time no, did she ever no. corrupt you no no michael no. michael okay so then all of a sudden I figure out, what am I going to do? I remember when I was on the force, they had this guy, Captain Frank Bowles. He was the one that started hostage negotiation. And I knew one thing. He was worldwide known. He's the one that taught hostage negotiation around the world. He had great contacts. Great contacts. I call up Frank Bowles. They say, Frank, he goes, hey, Bo, how you doing? And I had met him once or twice when I was on the force. And uh, he goes, I said, hey, Frank, I know you travel the world. Did you ever hear this place, Istanbul, Turkey? He goes, you mean Istanbul? I said, yeah, that, that place, that place. He, I said, do you know anybody there? He goes, yeah, Colonel Klink, Abdul Cockhead, whatever his name was. He goes, yeah, I know the chief of detectives there, Abdul Cockhead, whatever his name was, right? Next thing is I said, can I have his number? So now I give him the number. So I call up Abdul uh, Cockhead, whatever his name was, and I said, hey, uh, Admiral, General, Colonel, whatever rank they were out there. I said, excuse me. I said, I got a couple of detectives there going to come see you. So what I did was I, I got $3,000 out of the bank. I wired it over to Jimmy and Danny, and I told them, count out $1,500 in $100 bills, put it on the table, show the picture of the kid, tell him what little town outside Istanbul he's in, and show him the other $1,500, and let him know when you bring the kid back to the American embassy, you'll get the other $1,500. Yes, corruption that's the way we got this guy so make long story short they delivered it all the comes, kid. they all comes they delivered a kid there and now this is several several weeks later all of a sudden i'm waiting at the airport with the mother now if the father they kept him incarcerated right. in there and they wouldn't let him out thank god these were judges who had balls May have been a female judge. She didn't have balls. But these were judges who really understood what was going on with an American seven-year-old Hassan. So now I was so happy that we got this kid back. I'll never forget. They're walking through the airport. All of a sudden, the kid comes running over to the mother. And I go to grab him and say, hi, Hassan. 
He, I'll never forget. I, I had McDonald's. He goes to bite my face. Were you there, yeah. Michael? When no, we had him, I wasn't at. But the you heard the story. Yeah. He goes to bite my face. When he was over there, the father was sending him pictures of me, saying that this man's going to kill you. When I, <laughs> when I was going to rescue him, I had tears coming down my face. I said, I can't believe I rescued this kid from Istanbul, Turkey, and he's trying to bite my face. Yeah, off. he was brainwashed. Already. He was brainwashed. So we got him back to the mother and all that. And that was that was probably one of the happiest cases. Probably cost us up near a hundred grand, but it was a great case. And just to show people, you she have paid, to. She paid five thousand dollars. Yeah, that's total. all she had. That's all she I had. I think uh, she got it from her relatives. Yeah, Michael, five thousand dollars was the consult consultation. <laughs> there, come on. So make a long story short, we we had that, and now the other one's still going on, and. Right now, it goes into the trial phase, Michael, and you were involved with that. So we had brought in a glass expert that w proved scientifically that the glass was upside down because the prosecutor was claiming she took the glass and just smashed it into the side of Osmania's face. We knew that to be untrue. Sakano was telling the truth. She held it upside down. Because the shard of glass, there was a two-inch shard of glass that was surgically removed from Osmania's face. And when it was removed, the rim of the glass, the arrow, the point of the arrow of that shard was facing down. So we knew the glass was upside down. And I think a jury would have understood it and she would have been acquitted because there was no intent for an assault. However, in Colorado, assault second degree is a minimum mandatory five-year sentence upon conviction. So in other words, if she went to trial and lost, she would have went away for five years minimum. Yes, plus, for whatever reason, they got a change of venue. So we weren't in Pitkin County in Aspen. They they moved the proceedings to a small town up in the Rocky Mountains. And these people would not have liked a woman from Park Avenue dripping in diamonds and fur emeralds. and emeralds. And, and so a decision was made with her consent with Barry Slotnick, great criminal lawyer, for her to take a plea. She was ultimately given a 60-day jail sentence. She had to do 100 hours of community service. Was she skiing during this time, Michael? Well, she was allowed to leave the jail every so day were, to go Were you to skiing her community. with her when she was on community service? No, no. The case was over at that time. She was serving her sentence. And she had to pay, I think, about $5,000 in change. And she had to pay for many Spaniards' medical bills. Yeah. So it was a win. She wasn't really happy. She thought she should have walked away scot-free. But, you know, we weighed the risk and reward. And I think it was the right decision. Yeah, it was just so funny. That we, we put these two cases, because they actually happened simultaneously. simultaneously but we yeah. were going from the gutters of Istanbul, Turkey, rescuing yeah. a kid and being with this multi-million, maybe a billionaire, and rubbing elbows with David Koch, God rest yep. his soul, was a yep. good man. The Koch family, multi, one of the richest families in America. And now we're, Mike, Mike did most of the interviews, and I had known David Koch, and meeting with these people trying to solve this incursion of these two rich bitches. Yeah. And then all I got to say is, my poor boys were over there eating lamb burgers, <laughs> and they weren't too 
happy. Uh, but and, th- this and must have been some party. I mean, beside David Holt, L. McPherson was there. Ivana Trump was there. It was a who's a, who? a who's who of jet setters. But know? but this did you know this shows you like over the years the different avenues and the stories since we've been retired go to all ends. That wasn't even the first. I mean, that wasn't even the last rescue of an American kid who was kidnapped. And <laughs> it's a great story in Denmark. I hire helicopters with a Nazi war criminal. But you got some great stories. And I tell everybody, you know what? Real true stories cannot be duplicated because they actually happen. And when we tell these stories, but this was such a difference from Michael. But how come you took the good part, Michael, and you left Wags and Danny Because I was the president of Bodie Land Associates. (laughs) So you picked and chose, right? (laughs) Now, I also did look into, Mike, remember I asked you to look into, uh, I asked you to look into me charging some civil case against Madame Sicano with attempted rape on me. Did did you look at it, Mike? (laughs) Mike, did you look at that? That never happened. <laughs> but she was a very attractive one. And I still don't remember, Michael. <laughs> wink, wink. I don't remember anything that occurred. And you didn't even save me, Mike. How come you didn't come in that room and help me? I was nursing a Johnny Walker Blue <laughs> by the fireplace. So I was very happy sitting there by myself. But this was such a great story. And we got plenty more true crime stories to come in the weeks coming. But this, I thought the, the audience would enjoy listening to. We're leaving it short and sweet, but it was two great cases that had very good endings. And I think uh, the father, I think Hassan, the father, I think ended up getting married to the one. I don't even know what the hell happened. A know. lot of these cases don't end up like you I think. I don't know. I heard there's a fatwa on you, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why, you know what? I always carry a bacon and tomato sandwich on my person. Because if they shoot me and it explodes on them, they're not going to go to... They're not going to go to the Never Never Land. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. And we'll be back next week with another one. Thank you, Mike Cerevola. <laughs>